0: You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode.
1: Welcome to Season 4, Episode 11 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo. And this week, I am bringing you a conversation with Katie Godini, Dr. Katie Godini. She is a sociologist and writer based at the University College London. Um, and she's also an author, the author of the new book, The Struggle to Stay, Why Single Evangelical Women Are Leaving the Church. And I am so excited to have this conversation with Katie because I feel like it's going to be different than anyone we've had yet on this podcast. And I'm just excited to see what God does with it. So Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. It's so great to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you. And so before we get started and talk about um, your book, I was wondering if you could give our listeners a little bit of background about who you are um,
2: and your faith journey. Yeah, certainly. So. As Jess mentioned, I'm a researcher, I'm an academic and professor based in London, but as you can tell from my accent, I'm originally from the US. So I grew up in California and I actually grew up a pastor's daughter um, and a pastor's niece. So there's a lot of pastors in my family and yeah, grew up going to church every single week and went to Christian schools, Christian college, and my whole wider family um, is evangelical Christian as well. So you could say it's a bit. it was a bit of a bubble Um, And then in my 20s, I actually moved over to Boston for graduate school and just started to question some things about the faith, um, more so because I felt I had a lot of uh, struggles within the church as a a single woman, actually, Um, and all the things that come along with dating and finding a husband and things like that. And um, so it led me on a really interesting journey of my faith. And I attended a lot of different churches over the next five years. So I grew up Baptist, but I hopped from denomination to denomination. Um, I lived in Spain for a little bit and was an elder for the first time at a church there. Um, I should say as well, I grew up in a church where they didn't support women in leadership. um, And I did believe in it. So it was really exciting for me to have a leadership role in the church. Um, And then I moved to London in my late 20s and really tried finding a church that fit my um, beliefs around Christianity and and had a really hard time and um, some experiences in the church that just really burned me, which I know is Mm -hmm. something that happens to a lot of people. Um, Around the same time, I started this research for my PhD on single women in the church and hearing a lot of stories of um, pain and a lot of sadness and um, actually stopped going to church at that point and, and haven't been a regular churchgoer since then. I still really invested in Christianity. I'm really invested in, um, I would say my life's work is really about making the church um, more inclusive and especially for women. Um, and I'm still have a close pulse on what's going on in the church, but myself, am not a regular churchgoer anymore. Um, and I talk about that a lot in my book of my own story.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit, more about your book, The Struggle to Stay, and I guess the, the heart behind why
2: you wrote it and then a little bit about what it's more about. Yeah. So it's based on the research I did for my PhD. Um, And my PhD was with single women in the US and in the UK. And I did long-term, about four years of research with these women. And I went in, you know, having had my own negative experiences and been a bit burned, kind of with an ax to grind, you could say. And and I wanted to uh, do this research and write this account that really took down the church, that kind of set it on fire. And what I found as my research went on is that wasn't an accurate portrayal of, what i was finding you know for a lot of women um the church is a tremendously healing place it's a place of community it's a place of um freedom and I couldn't write this account that just was fully negative about the church. It wasn't reflected back in, in the stories I was hearing. Mm-hmm. And I came to have a much wider and deeper preach, appreciation for the church, I would say, as a place um, that is messy, where there is a lot of hurt, um, but there is a tremendous, a lot of um, healing and freedom and, and beautiful things that happen in community. Um, so when it came time to write the book, I wanted to tell that full picture. Um, and I also wanted to bring my own story into it. It because I was interviewing all of these women about, you know, why do you stay in the church when, when you have grievances? Um, and I needed to explore as well my own story of, well, why did I leave the church um, to fully understand why these women would stay? So I complicate the idea of staying and leaving. And I also hope that I present um, what it's like to be a single woman in the church in all of its fullness, warts and all.
1: Yes, I mean this is fascinating to me because I am a single woman in the church. Okay. I'm in a wonderful dating relationship now, but okay. you know, still check single on tax forms. Um, and I'm 35, so never been married. Um and I don't know, I I'm interested to hear like what common themes stood yeah. out among these women. Um in both their their grievances, but then also the ways that they found hope and community.
2: Yeah. So I'm glad you told me your age because that's actually, 35 is a real crucial number I found for women. So it's it's kind of this point where women who aren't dating or can't find someone to date start to get really discouraged. And um, I should say, I did the majority of my research in big cities. So London, New York, where, where people do tend to marry a little bit later. Sure. Um, I'm currently doing research in a really small town where I'm noticing the marriage. Will, the average age is a lot younger, um, but 35 is usually the age where women who can't find a suitable partner. Um, aren't able to go on, aren't getting asked down on dates, aren't dating, feel really discouraged. And they start to question their participation in the church. Um, So this can take many forms. So for some women I met, it means going late to church and leaving early. So they don't really engage with other people at church. For some women, it meant skipping Sundays, you know, kind of going ad hoc. Other women feel really determined, though, to stick in there. Um, they have a lot of hope that God will bring them a husband, um, and they want to stick in there and, and have their presence be accepted and valued in the church, even though they might feel a little bit discouraged. Um, so I saw a real mix of, of ways to react, but 35 seemed to be a crucial age where some women were making hard choices, I would say. Um, and at the same time, for a lot of women, you know, church was everything for them. And I remember that myself when I was still really involved in in the faith is um, church is your main friendships, your main source of support. You might go multiple times a week. And so to have the option of leaving is a a really difficult choice and really painful choice. You're not just leaving something you do on a Sunday. This is your whole world. This is your whole community. Um, But what do you do when you don't feel as welcomed in your community anymore? And and it presents a really difficult tension for a lot of women.
1: Yeah. And you know, you keep referring to the church as well. Did you find that with these women and in your study that there was a distinction between like a personal relationship with God versus their role in a church community?
2: Absolutely. So it's a, that's a great distinction to make. And women would tell me time and time again, especially women who ended up leaving the church or were, had this kind of um Inconsistent participation, they would say, you know, my relationship with God is really stable. Mm-hmm. I have a close relationship with God. Um, we are in conversation all the time. That hasn't changed. The thing that's changed is the way I engage in the church um, mm-hmm. and my participation in the church. And so even women that were kind of doing these different creative tactics, like leaving late and um coming late and leaving early, they still felt that their relationship with God was unwavering. That mm-hmm. hadn't shifted at all. And, and yeah. even when people that left the church um, maintained that relationship with God. So it wasn't about God. It wasn't about even core Christian beliefs and, mm-hmm. and you know, the Trinity and, and Jesus and scripture. It was about the church as a community of believers and um, feeling unwelcomed there at times.
1: Yeah, and... I mean, it's so hard because the church is made up of imperfect people. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no perfect church. And yet, you know, how do we still, yeah, be a part of it? Yeah. Even when it hurts us or fails us. And I mean, what conclusions did the women come to? Like, does that question make sense? Yeah,
2: it does. I think, um... I think they've like, the how women, do you
1: reconcile the pain you felt yeah. versus?
2: Yeah. Well, that's a trade-off and that's the trade-off that a lot of women are facing. And I think that increases as women get older and maybe fail to find a husband and really deeply want that. Um, you know, the church really does, the Christian church really does um, value marriage and value um, children. And so if you're not meeting those ideals, uh, it can feel oftentimes a lonely place Um So that's kind of the trade-off that women have to contend with, or if they find a different community, a different church community where they feel a little bit more welcomed. Um, I think you know that if we look at the numbers in the US and the UK, there are more women going to church than men. And so statistically speaking, it is going to be harder for for matches to be made. And there are gonna be women who just, there aren't enough men. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's a reality I think also that we have to look at and, and say, well, if you wanna marry a Christian man, but there's not any options, what do you do? And and so that's another trade-off that women have to contend with. Do I go look outside the church for someone? Um, Do I just stay single? Do I keep hoping that someone will come along? You know, there's there's different amounts of time that I think women are willing to wait. Um, And then, as I said, kind of that magic number of 35 is where people start making different moves.
1: Mm. Did you find anything about... Like Christian men tending to be non committal. <laughs> yes, was both was that a trend?
2: It was a major trend in both countries. So I, I have to say, I didn't interview men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I yes, don't know. Fair. So I, we don't have their for perspective. Have, I have like male Christian friends that I would talk to about the research. So I have kind of anecdotal stories. Yeah. Um, but that was a consistent theme in both countries that really surprised me because I would hear almost the exact same stories from women in two different countries um, that men wouldn't commit or that they would kind of play games. There was stringing along. There was this idea of, um, oh, if we go for a coffee date, they think that, you know, we want to get married, but we don't. We're, you know, we're women feeling pigeonholed into these categories of being super intense and marriage minded. And. Um, and on the converse side of that, feeling that men were being really flaky around dating and not taking it seriously, and um, frustration with that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I have experienced some of that That's in something my you life. Can relate to Jess. That <laughs> is something I can relate to. And you know, my own like personal dating history. I guess in my twenties, you know, I wanted to be married so bad. I thought I'd get married right out of college. I went to a small Christian school, so to like exit that without a husband was like. What did I do wrong? Um, and you know, I just wanted to be married so badly. But I continued to pick men who I feel like I had to change myself yeah. to fit what they wanted. And great Christian men that I dated in my 20s. If any of them are listening, which would yeah. be weird, but if you're listening, <laughs> nothing but respect for you. Um, but I wasn't my truest self with them um, mm. because I wanted so badly marriage that I was willing to become somebody different from who God created me uniquely to be. Yeah. And when I was 29, I discovered the Enneagram. Oh, yes. And from what I've been saying, maybe you can guess I'm a two, you know, mm-hmm. molding myself to be what other people need or what I perceive other people to need. Um, and that revolutionized my view of myself mm-hmm. and completely changed who I was in my relationships. because I knew who I was and I could remain rooted in that. Um, And so, you know, part of my single journey, I think, was in my 20s, God's protection of like Mm -hmm. knowing I wasn't ready, um, which was a hard lesson to learn. But on the other side of it, you know, it's always worth it. Yeah. Um, But I know you are kind of interested in the Enneagram. And I was was wondering how that has influenced your identity work.
2: Yeah, I love the Enneagram. I first discovered it in Peru, actually. I was volunteering with a Christian organization right after college and came across it. And it just... Blew my mind. I felt like I was being so exposed there on the page. And I was, I hope other people don't read this. It's like my deepest feelings being exposed. Um, So I'm a one on the Enneagram. I am the perfectionist. I do have a two wing. So I can connect with you on that. Yes. Um, Yeah, I would say for me, the way I see it come out in my work is that I have this strong sense of right and wrong um, and this strong drive for justice. and perfection, you know, we are the perfectionists, even though I don't like that label. So I think this can come and come from a really good place. And so far as you know, definitely with my work with the church is I want the church to be better, I want it to, to improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we're called the improvers as a one, I want to there's a clear sense of what's right for the church in my mind, and I want the church to get there. Um, and I'm can be somewhat uncompromising on that. Um, so the flip, the negative side of that is that, you know, the church is made up of imperfect people. I am a very imperfect person um, and I need to become more comfortable, I think, with these gray spaces and with the, with the knowledge that change takes time and, you know, reaching perfection or reaching betterment doesn't happen all at once. And so that's really my um, growth area that I'm leaning into. Mm, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I notice
1: if people are watching our video um, that you have a ring on a finger. Are you married? Talking
2: about- I am married. I got married in
1: August. My husband actually
2: two on the Enneagram. So (laughs) he's uh, smiling in the background right now. (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm I'm almost 38 this year. So I got married a lot later than um, is the kind of norm in Christian circles. And I'm kind of the opposite of you, Jess. When I was in my 20s and finished my Christian college, I did not want to be married. So I, I dated some really wonderful Christian men as well. So if they are listening, I have nothing but respect for them. Really great guys, um, but I just didn't want to get married. I I felt really young. I wanted to travel. I was very focused on my career, um, and I felt this tremendous pressure—not necessarily from the guys, but from the church and in our Christian community—to be married, and um, just did not feel like I was ready for that at all. So, I'm somewhat of a late bloomer in 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 that sense. But I'm really glad that um, I got married when I did, and and married what I consider to be definitely the right person, and uh, definitely someone that was worth the wait. Yes. How did you meet? We met on a dating app. Yes. I <laughs> love As that. most people do in London. Yeah. Um, I had done multiple rounds of dating apps and did a round with a friend and we kind of did it lightheartedly for fun. And um, met my husband, it was like the first person that I um, met on there and then quickly got off the app. So yes. I'm a, I'm a child for the apps. What can I say? Yes. And so much of it is just about timing. I mean... Totally. When you're ready, when they're ready, and I think I'd reached a place too where I finally really wanted um, to find someone, and mm-hmm. and I hadn't felt that before. You know, it took me. We met when I was almost thirty-five, so I it took me that long to really want to be in that kind of committed relationship. To- make sacrifices for another person you know I was very much like this is where I'm going and this is what I'm doing and if they want to come along great but I'm not changing any of my plans for someone else Um, and then meeting my partner my husband now uh, was the first person I felt like I want to make this a priority and I'll do whatever I need to do to make that happen whether it involves moving different places or um, you know I just applied for British citizenship so it was choices I was willing to make for someone else
1: yeah oh I love that so what maybe a word of hope or encouragement might you have for single women to circle back to your book who are struggling in their Christian community or just struggling
2: with these unmet longings? Um, the first thing I'd say is you're not alone. So I when I would often finish an interview, I would ask a woman, do you have any questions for me? Um, and one woman said to me, are my answers normal? Did anyone else say things similar? And I said, your answers are so on par with what everyone else is telling me. And I could just see how relieved she was. It was almost like a weight was lifted off her shoulders when I said that, um, in knowing that she wasn't alone in in her feelings of, of wanting a relationship, of feeling Disappointed and discouraged that that wasn't happening, and feeling that she wasn't as valued in her church because of that. Um, so I wrote this book, hoping my my kind of my deepest hope is that women read it and and if they are struggling, that they feel the sense of they're not alone in that. There's other women like them, um, and. That isn't necessarily a prescription for how involved you should be in your church community, but it's a sense that um, you're not the only one that feels this way, and and hopefully that gives some encouragement to women.
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: What would you say your life message is then? Um, kind of what I mentioned earlier. So I really, I really do want the church to be a more welcoming space. I mm-hmm. want it. To a place that's more inclusive. Um, I think there are so many wonderful and beautiful aspects of the church and and of church community. It's it's really singular. And I talk about this in my book. There's nothing else quite like it. You know, there's other communities you can join, sports clubs or work or colleagues or things like that. But there's something unique that the church community can give you Mm -hmm. um, that I think there's no other replacement for it in society. Um, So I don't want it to be a choice between do I stay and feel kind of devalued or do I leave and, and lose this beautiful community? Um, and I'd like the church to be more welcoming and open to people who maybe haven't found a a life partner and maybe won't find one, um, but still be valued for the the contributions they bring.
1: Yeah, that's good. That is a beautiful life message. Um, our tagline on the show is collecting stories that remind us of who God is and who we are in Him. So you can answer this personally, or maybe from the things you you know collected from the women in your book. But what things did either they or you like reveal about who God was in mm-hmm. their lives and who God is?
2: Mm-hmm. I would say the main thing that came across really strongly is um, God is a God of love and not one um, who requires you to be perfect. And women talk about their failings, um, not measuring up failings in the community. um, And yet they had a really strong sense of forgiveness and love from God whether or not they were still involved in church, whether or not they were fighting the church actively from inside it, they felt really supported and loved and um, close to God throughout that journey. And, and that was really beautiful to see. There wasn't this sense of hiding or shame. It was a, a deep sense of value.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. That is so good. Um, Well, what have I missed? What, is something I can't let you leave without sharing either from your book or just something else that you've like learned about God in the church throughout this whole journey.
2: So something else that occurs to me about kind of what was revealed about God's character through the study is a lot of women felt really called to church leadership. Mm. Um, and they, I even met one woman who didn't theologically believe in women in leadership and yet felt this calling and couldn't reconcile that and had her male pastor tell her, listen, I think God's calling you to church leadership. And she was like, but I don't theologically agree with it. Um, so this is, this is another tension that comes up in the book and that I think is a, a reality for a lot of women is feeling called to ministry. Um, And perhaps not being supported in that calling or not having opportunities to fulfill that calling. Um, And I'd really like to see more women be able to live that calling out. Um, And especially, you know, I think they need a lot of support to get there, especially in churches where they they don't maybe have a lot of women in church leadership. And not everyone does feel called to church leadership and not everyone should be called to it, frankly. But I think for people that really do have that strong calling on their life to be able to um, fulfill that, it would be really exciting to see
1: yeah and what an interesting thought process too when we feel like God is calling us to something but then it doesn't line up with what theologically yeah. we've been taught in our in our denomination our whole lives right and like then having to deconstruct our faith and mm. see okay is this not really from the Lord what I'm feeling yeah. or was I taught bad theology right and that right. I mean have you seen that?
2: Or like, how do people work through that deconstruction process? I think it's painful and I think it can be really hard. Um, in the particular example I just gave, this woman had, you know, the male pastor at her church who was encouraging her and who was really putting her forward. Um, so I think that was less of a challenge because she had that support. Mm-hmm. But I think for women that feel the calling and... Um, theologically maybe can't reconcile it or are trying to to theologically grapple with it, but they don't have any support around them. It can be an isolating experience. And some women remove themselves from the church setting while they're doing that deconstructing before they move back into it and can figure out what their place is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if that's, you know, what approach is the right one to do. I don't (laughs) think there is a right approach, but I think um, yeah, I definitely did see that sense of like, I can't work this out while I'm in the church community. So I need to step outside of it. I need to figure out where I am, what I believe, and then I can find a community that matches that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for women to know like, that's, that's okay. Yeah. like. God can honor whatever path you're on. And if you need to step away from the church you're in right now, that doesn't make you any less a Christian. That yeah. doesn't discount your love for God or or take away his love for you. Like, yeah. I think there's someone out there who, who needs to hear that right now, that what they're struggling with, they're not alone, like you said. Yeah. And it's okay to ask those questions and to wrestle with those really hard like discrepancies that you may be seeing.
2: And I'd say it's okay to walk through different seasons. Not not everything has to be linear. I know, um, as, as I mentioned, the pandemic's really brought up a lot for women in their faith, for Christians in general. It's caused some, you know, to step outside of, regular church going because they see it online now, or they, they engage with church online, or maybe they find their spiritual nourishment from their Bible study group mm-hmm. rather than from Sunday services. Some are really eager to get back into Sunday services. It's shift The pandemic shifted people's way of uh, church going and, and engaging with Christian faith in a huge way. Um, and I think it's raised a lot of questions for people as well. So I would just echo what you said, Jess, that wherever you're finding yourself right now, whatever the pandemic has thrown up for you or the past few years, have thrown up for you, that that's okay too. And that that's part of the journey that it's not a landing point.
1: Yeah. And I think the pandemic, like church in the pandemic has almost brought us back to the early church in acts of like meeting with small groups in houses and the church flourished and God was working. Like we don't have to meet with a thousand other people in order to Church, like I think, I don't know. I think it's gotten us back to some really important roots Mm. that we had lost with the growth of the mega church. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with right or wrong with those, you know. Maybe a whole different conversation. But I think there's something beautiful God did in you know the the horrible experience of the pandemic, but bringing us back
2: to. A more simplistic view of community. Yeah, I'd say there's been a huge restructuring going on mm-hmm. rather than, you know, this binary of leaving and staying. There's people are re- reshuffling how they engage in Christian community. And community might be really small. It might be your three closest girlfriends that you go for walks with and, and talk about your faith. And um, that can be a really beautiful way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Um, Before I let you go, I was wondering what you're working on next, if you can tell us if,
2: you know, what's on your horizon or what's next for you? Yeah, so I'm switching gears now and I'm actually looking at faith and politics. So, um, you know, the last six years or so have been a point of great fracture in the United States and great fracture in the church as well around different political issues. So I'm um, doing interviews with Christians all over the country, and I'm looking at how faith impacts politics and also um, what political issues are really important to Christians right now. So uh, interviewing men as well as women this time, which is a big change for me, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it's been really interesting so far. And um, yeah, that'll be my next book, hopefully.
1: Wow, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We'll have to have you on to talk about that. We never really get into politics in this show, but um,
2: yeah, the two things we're not supposed to talk about: politics and religion. And I'm 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 hitting both of them at the same time. (laughs) You
1: really are. Yes, we focus on religion here and (laughs) have left politics out of it. (laughs)
2: Yeah, might be a good idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think God's bigger than our politics. Yeah, you know, I just keep coming back to with all the division that you know I need to be engaged I need to be informed and have opinions and know why I have my opinions but at the end of the day I vote and then this world is not my home like mm. you know not using that excuse to not stay engaged and informed yeah. Yeah. but my hope is not in whoever is or isn't our mm. current leader right um, right and I I find peace
2: in that yeah yeah so, the delicate balance it is It really
1: is. Well, we will have to have you back on when that comes
2: out. I would love to. Thanks so much for the questions, for for having this space. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it, Jess.
1: Yes, thank you. What a fascinating conversation with Katie. Um, As I was talking to her You know about this idea of singleness and connecting it to just any unmet longing that we have. Um, You know, maybe you're out there married, and yet you still resonated with maybe feeling some some church hurt or still something you desire that that you haven't achieved that other people around you are. Maybe it's a child or a job or I don't know whatever whatever your unmet longing is. I think. What Katie was saying was so fascinating. And there was such wisdom and hope in it that you're not alone and that God is love, that He is our provider. So when the church fails us, or when people fail us, or when a relationship fails us, God doesn't. And I've been digging into the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. And we see it first in Genesis 22, um, 1 through 17, which is the story of Abraham when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. And back in Genesis 12 is the story of the Abrahamic covenant, where God promised, made a covenant with Abraham, that Abraham would become a great nation. And Isaac was the beginning of the fulfillment of that covenant, because without children, you can't be a great nation, (laughs) You need offspring. So, when God was asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, in a sense, God was saying, Do you trust me to fulfill my promise to you, even when it doesn't make sense? And I feel like sometimes when God wants to show us something new about his character and his ability to provide, he'll put us in a situation that might not make sense to us. And in that moment, I think that's the time to dig in, to worship, to get into His Word, to spend time in stillness with Him, whatever you need to do, because I think He's up to something new that only He can solve. When it feels so far outside of our ability to fix or understand, I think there can be a little bit of excitement with that, that God is up to something new. And when we choose God i think that's when he makes provisions for us because he sees our complete commitment to him now i don't believe that means that you know if you're faithful to God and you choose God you're going to get what you wanted because i you might not get the the husband or the child or the job or whatever the thing is but God will make a way for you and provide for you in a way you could have never anticipated um and sometimes it's in very small things that we need to train ourselves to see these small provisions that happen in our lives, that that can go unnoticed if we're not paying attention, if we're not looking for them. Um, <laughs> the silliest thing happened to me, but the other day I, I needed a dress for an event I'm going to, and I found this beautiful dress at Anthropology, and it you know was on sale. For one price. And then I brought it to the register and it was even cheaper than that. It was like really, really cheap, which if you shop at anthropology, you know, never happens. Um, and in that moment when it rang up way less than I anticipated, I felt like it was God seeing me and providing for me and knowing my financial needs. And it was so small and could have been missed. And maybe I was reading into it more, but but it almost it moved me to tears. Like I got very emotional because I felt like it was God's provision. And it wasn't a husband, <laughs> but it was a small moment where he reminded me, I see you and I will provide for even the silly things, even, even the, the worldly things. I I don't know. So hopefully that brings some encouragement, you know. And when God makes a promise. He will fulfill it. Like he won't leave us hanging. Sometimes it's just hard to let go of let go of what we thought it would look like. And I think that's where there's that, that grief um, for maybe the life you thought you'd be living and you're not. Um, so I I challenge you, and I'm not trying to be trite or belittle your pain or your desire, but I encourage you this week to try and look for moments of gratitude where you see God provide in maybe even the smallest way um because those things start to add up and once you train your mind to start noticing God winking at you we call it you'll you'll see it everywhere and you'll realize how involved he is in our lives with the way that he provides um I don't know. So that's just some things that have been on my mind and heart this week. I hope you're having a wonderful week and we will see you soon. Love you all. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. You can also find Jess at JustBeyondo. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit CollectedMinistries.org donate. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.